episode of difficult damsels if we didn't have problems yes. what I were mean, our problems today cat uh the microphone is always our problem well okay hold on the first problem was <laughs> rachel brought a dead computer to play <laughs> and it would have been fine because i have a computer except she didn't email her notes like she no normally does yeah so <laughs> rachel's had a very difficult week oh man rachel's had a very like rachel stressed almost had a <laughs> full-on breakdown oh, at work you came. should have a breakdown at work they're I'm, good for you and you then they what? show work that they're fucking with you i'm i'm tempted i don't know why i sounded like a robot saying <laughs> that whole sentence i apologize but i'm so tempted yeah. i feel like somebody on my team is gonna have a break you gotta soon. find a person who you can have breakdowns with no no this wouldn't i oh. I, I have all oh, my entire team i can have a breakdown in their office not oh, a problem okay. like uh, this was going to be a full on in the middle of the hallway, like crying oh, and screaming. No. Kind of breakdown. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Is it just like shit's hitting the fan or? Yeah. Dumb people surrounding it's just, you? Or? It's just the thing I feel like everybody is going through because I've heard this from multiple <clears throat> friends in multiple different industries you keep getting stuff piled on your plate and you're it's like performance punishment on there with you. But it's, it's not even, it's not even the high performing people. It's literally oh. everyone in the company. Oh, cool. Cause I've talked to other people. Are you like short staffed or just they're Every trying to do too much all at once? Well, everybody is technically. So as you grow as a company, you would think that like, you would grow your base. And yes. Yeah, no, that's, and that's not, that's no. Yeah. No. So it's one of those, like, it's a, it's that thing where like, the person driving the train has no idea what's going on with the train and that you have like yeah. half the wheels in the back and the yeah. caboose is about to like fucking fall yeah. off the tracks. Yes. But until something like until that poor caboose falls, nothing's <laughs> going to happen. And it's like when that caboose falls, it takes the whole yeah, train with it. Yeah, it takes the whole it, train so. with it. But if you're not paying attention as the captain of your company, then that's what happens. I really do think and, you know, I, I don't know if any of them are listening, but... You're listening. You. Get your shit together. <laughs> when you are so high up in the company you think you can just say do this thing like like a light switch like yeah. oh just turn it on i've heard people say that to me like just just, just turn, turn it on or it turn on. it off and i'm like yeah, okay, come here well, i'm that... gonna show you where the on switch is and it's yeah. gonna hurt you yeah i'm like well that actually takes <laughs> a um, mountain and then so <laughs> yeah to turn it on yeah it was really funny because uh, i'm gonna make this vague but <laughs> So we've been drowning because we have to keep up with um, cost changes yeah. weekly. I can imagine they're not fun right now. <laughs> well, and on top of that, because of the nature of um, the business I'm in in the department, it's like those come in automatically, but because we have production items, that cost has to get um, calculated manually. Ugh. So literally multiple teams have to touch that before yeah. it comes to me, and then I submit it to the team that yeah. I used to and be you're on. And not, you're not verifying that work because it's not your job to verify that oh work, well i have to do it now but oh, yeah, okay because it broke once right <laughs> but it's one of those things where you literally have a very short turnaround so like I, we get it fridays yeah and i have to submit it friday for monday and then 
So we were talking about, oh, all of these cost changes, we should probably include the pricing, the like MPNA, like analyst team yeah. um, going forward so they can figure out if pricing needs to be adjusted. And it was so funny because this past Friday, I was like, okay, I'm including them. And I was like, okay, you said we should probably include them. So just so you know, team, these, these price changes are, or these cost updates are going in. And, and everything one, broke. Well, one of... <laughs> One of the people on that team was like, wait, how often are you sending cost updates to the DI team? Um, we need, we need like one to two weeks notice okay. to respond. That's cute. And we already are at the end of our bandwidth. And I'm, I'm literally sitting there like, well, they come weekly and now you know why we've been drowning. Yeah. Cause yeah, we understand the bandwidth thing, but if, oh, if gosh. you're saying we have to do this so you can react this way, guess what? You're going to have to do it every week. Yeah. You're going to have to figure it out alongside so, us. <laughs> that was vague. Sorry. No, the okay. listener probably it's doesn't okay. care, but yeah, it's, okay. it's been, <laughs> It's been a very stressful week. Mm. I am very grateful it's the weekend. We're going to yeah. have pizza tonight. Fuck yeah. And Sorry. I have a very exciting story to tell. That was weird. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'm concerned now because I have no idea. what. The, do I know what the story is? Uh, You will in a second. Yeah. Sort of. Oh, are you talking about the story story? Yeah, the story oh, story. Oh, I thought you were going to like, make up another. I no, 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 no. I no. thought you had another story. <laughs> well, before we go into the actual episode, how was your week? It was, it existed in time and space. <laughs> <laughs> like it existed in time and space yeah. and I'm trying, I'm just, I'm at the point where I'm trying to find a way to deal with the bullshit and the stupidity. And I'm, I've, <laughs> my poor new boss has no idea. Well, now he knows, but he had no idea what he was getting when he got me as a, as a person. Cause I'm like, I'm not the person where you can just say, do this. Yeah. And if it's stupid, I'm going to be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I'll tell you why I said no, but like, no, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm not going to do and it. And it's, I'm dealing with people who don't know what I do and how much shit I do on a daily basis. And yeah. I'm surrounded by people who don't do shit. So which gets frustrating. Well, yeah, it gets when you're drowning and you yeah. see other people laughing. And yeah, and then you bring time. it to your boss and he tries to defend, and I'm just like, I don't want he, my my boss. If he's listening, he's he, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had brought something to his attention, and he was his comment was like, "I'm not an ass in seats kind of supervisor." It's like I'm not asking you to be an ass in seats kind of supervisor. I'm just asking you to hold your damn team accountable. Yeah, that's all I want. Yeah, <laughs> that's your bare minimum as a as a person in charge yeah so yeah that's kind of just... what leadership is about yeah that's kind of your job it's kind of why you make more than me <laughs> I'm, so. I'm not an ass in the seat person either it's like talk all you want to get the job done if you're not getting the job done that's the problem but i did take the analyst test how'd it go and it went really well I nice really High five. Well. that's like the first part of it oh, i'm yeah. not even close to the finish line but and then i have that's like awesome. a, i have a couple wins from this week so i'll take them and i had a i had a win this week from someone i was not expecting i was like have I misjudged you? And I've been an ass to you. Hold, hold on, let's talk. <laughs> I mean, Kat, yeah. we've already talked about on the last episode how, yeah, you are that person. I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, so like, I just, it was, it like floored me that I got support from someone I didn't think I would get support from. And I like, I had just like said my plan as like a off the walls, like, yeah. if this happens, we're going to have to reevaluate everything that I'm doing. And she's like, she's like, go ahead and write it. Because I was talking about writing a memo and she's like, go ahead and write it. I'd support it. And I'm like, Whoa. I was like, thank you. Sometimes people surprise you. I know. I was like, okay. But I also know that um, where I work, you don't trust hallway promises. That's fair. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. <laughs> You're like, I'll believe it when I see yeah. the action behind the words. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. So it's, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't a terrible week. It was Thor's first week at home by himself. So he did great. He just slept the whole time. I'm but... so, I'm really, really happy that worked <clears throat> yeah. out for you. Yeah. So it's just. He gets to be a dog now. <clears throat> yeah. He gets to be a real dog, not a working dog. <laughs> Retired at three. I'm on it. <laughs> Well, you have just been listening to Therapy Treehouse. Yeah, about how to deal with work. <laughs> We're not. Just oh, yeah. cry. Just scream in the yeah. middle of the hallway. Just scream. Oh, that that's the whole running joke now through work is like now that Thor is not there. And he's like, because like he barks at people sometimes. And like yeah. now that he's not there, everyone's like, well, now you have to start barking. I was like, do you guys know me? I already bark. Like, <laughs> You're like, are you sure that's what you want? Yeah. You, you guys know me. Like you hear me barking when I'm screaming at someone. <laughs> oh, yeah an interesting week fun i'm just i'm i'm here at this point i just show up (laughs) oh that'll be me soon enough yeah yeah oh what are we listening to cat we are listening we are not listening to it we're talking about it (laughs) difficult damsels that's cat hi that's rachel hi and we are here to talk about badass amazing and sometimes problematic women from history hell yeah so I'll start off by actually saying the name of our difficult damsel and then I'm going to I'm going to talk about stuff. What? <laughs> so, what does that even mean? Okay. <laughs> actually, first. I thought you were going to say action. I was like, you don't need to say action out loud. <laughs> I'm going to issue an apology right now for oh, the no. next two episodes. Oh, no. Why? There's a lot of Baldwins. Oh, you There's more Baldwins than there have ever been. Is that why I'm holding this character map yeah, in my hand? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Baldwins. Great. There's, there's, it's, it's worse than the Henrys of the I Catherine de Medici. Right like, I just can't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Not all of them are even in the family. <laughs> what? Oh, God. Like I said. But yeah, so we started off this year talking about women who rose to power in the crusader era uh basically because you know all the men went off to war and they died (laughs) so it created this power vacuum and women were able to get into positions of power that were previously denied to them women rolled up their sleeves and like i got this so this story is kind of the end of all that okay this is the fall oh damn it so (laughs) our difficult damsel and this will be a two-parter hell yeah is Sibella of Jerusalem. But this isn't just Sibella's story. Yeah. So here's the issue I ran into when I was writing this story and I was doing the research. Um, Sibella doesn't feel like a character on page. Huh. So the way she's written, and there will be reasons for that that I'll get into, like, in the next episode. She, Everything is written by William of Tyr. William of Tyr actually is going to be on the page right now. Oh, he okay. exists in this time period. He is, um, he works for the royal family. He ends yeah. up being the tutor of Sabella's brother. Uh-huh. Um, but Sabella, she's a very passive character. Fun. <laughs> yes. So as I'm writing this story, I'm like, this doesn't feel like her story. So what these two episodes are going to be, is the story of the fall of Jerusalem okay. from the perspective of Sabella okay. and a couple of other women. Okay. So Sabella will be our focal point, but we are also going to talk about Sabella's mother, Agnes of Courtney, and Sabella's stepmother, Maria Comneni. Oh, okay. And then we're going to talk about a lot of men as well. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> so in 
So at this point, we've kind of graduated from the Atabeg Zangiz and the Nurad Dins. Our new rival on the page is Saladin. Oh, Saladin okay. is here. Okay. Um, and then, of course, we have Amalric, who mm -hmm. is Sabella's father, which I'll get into, and her brother, Baldwin IV, known as the Leper King. <laughs> I'm looking at your character drawings and <laughs> I was like, why is half his face gone? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. why. <laughs> so if you see Kingdom of Heaven, and I'll talk about that movie a little later in the episode as well, because I have issues with it. <laughs> it's basically fanfic. Well, yeah. But I actually really liked, um, I think it was Edward Norton, like a very young one playing mm -hmm. Baldwin the Fourth, And he has the like, um, like metal mask. Yes. And he basically, you're going to think of Baldwin the Fourth as like a very young Viserys. Okay. From okay. House of the Dragon. Is it just because so, yeah. he has the mask or? Because <laughs> everything's falling apart. Okay. Like, literally. <laughs> and he's like so. not doing anything about it. <laughs> so yeah. No, it's like he literally can't do it. It's just, it's leprosy. Oh, it's... oh you're saying his body's falling apart. His... I, meant you, I thought you meant his kingdom's falling apart. And I <laughs> so, was like, what? <laughs> so normally I don't care for any of the men in any of the stories I tell. But I like walked away from this story like. Kind of feeling bad for him. Baldwin the Fourth. You were, you were a good dude. Okay. As much as you, your your body's literally falling apart, and you're doing what you can to keep the kingdom together. That's and awesome. he's like twenty. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. I so, can't even function, and my body's falling apart. It has nothing to do with leprosy. <laughs> That's. I mean, literally, I'm I'm reading the story, and it's it's a very interesting story. So as I was writing this, it was supposed to be a one parter. Yeah. And I came, I came to a point where it was like eleven or twelve pages, and I had more story to tell. So I was like, I had two options. I condense the story or I just break it into two. Nobody wants you to condense the story. So, and yeah. So I decided, you know what? This no is... one's complained yet about our parters. Parters? That's oh, parters. That's weird. <laughs> Multiple so, parts. Sabella herself might not be the most interesting <clears throat> woman we cover. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, she's interesting because I'm just picturing her as Eva Green. Yeah. Eva Green plays her in Kingdom she of Heaven. So here we are. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, picture Eva Green. The story is just insane. Okay. So yeah. So before we get into it, a little bit of historical context. Woo. You guys, if you can hear my fan in the background, I'm so sorry. Just ignore <laughs> it. <laughs> my fan has has opinions. <laughs> so in 1162, Genghis Khan is born in present-day Genghis, sorry. <laughs> Mongolia. It's always going to be Genghis to be. Just accept it. <laughs> so that's uh, Sabella is three when he's born. Oh, okay. She's a baby. She's a baby. In 1170. Which means you're a grown-ass adult in this time. <laughs> Thomas Becket is murdered in Canterbury Cathedral, possibly on the orders of King Henry II of England. What in 1171, Saladin deposes the last Fatman, Fatmid Caliph and establishes the Ayyubid dynasty. In 1174, Eleanor of Aquitaine, the Queen of England, is imprisoned by her husband, Henry II of England, after it is revealed that she instigated her sons into open revolt against their father. She is in prison for the next 16 years until Henry's death in 1189. Ugh. That would suck. I would go crazy. Well, I don't know if I, well, I feel like we already talked about that, but. <laughs> oh, we did. You can oh, go listen man. to the Eleanor episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can, you can go listen and figure out how Kat and Rachel would handle being in prison for 16 years. <laughs> in 1177, Hojo Masako, the shogun nun, marries Minamoto no Yoritomo. You can go listen to the Hojo Masako episode. Earlier in our catalog, <laughs> it's just kind of, it's crazy to think Hojo Mosco, Eleanor of Aquitaine, and Sabella all existed at the same time. I know. Like, as you're reading all this, I'm just like, wow, we're like full circling. <laughs> yeah. 
1180 to 1185 marks the period known as the Genpai War in Japan. At the end of the war, Yoritomo and Hojo Masako emerge as the victors, establishing the Kamakura Shogunate. In 1184, Tamar of Georgia ascends to the Georgian throne as its first queen regnant upon her father's death, after co-ruling with her father for six years. She would later be remembered by history as Tamar the Great, King of Georgia. Ooh. Are we covering her? You always get excited when I I mention her. She's on the list. (laughs) She's there. We might do it. She's interesting. And then on 1187, the city of Jerusalem falls to Saladin's forces. I told you the ending in the beginning. So we'll see how we get there every time. Okay. This is not about the destination. It's about the journey kind of a thing. Always. We conclude our story of Crusader-era women with Melisande's granddaughter, Sibella. With Sibella comes the fall of Christian leadership in the kingdom of Jerusalem. According to the sources of this era, Jerusalem's fall was a sign of God's displeasure with the vanity of the kings of Jerusalem, or queens in this case, I suppose. (laughs) Sibella of Jerusalem was born sometime in the year of 1159 to Amalric of Jerusalem and Agnes of Courtney. Thanks to both her parents, Sabella's bloodline could be traced to all four crusader states of Edessa, Antioch, Tripoli, and Jerusalem. We already know the history of the paternal side of her family. Through her father, Sabella was the granddaughter of Melisande of Jerusalem, the kingdom's first queen regnant. Amalric had been the second son of Melisande and notoriously her favorite son as well. Amalric had been named Count of Jaffa and Ascalon, prototypical spare to the heir that was his older brother, the future Baldwin III of Jerusalem. Amalric's mother and older brother had a contentious relationship, due in large part to a stipulation created by Melisande's father that named her and her son as co-rulers of Jerusalem. When Baldwin decided he was done ruling with his mother, he catapulted Jerusalem into a civil war as he physically moved to boot his mother from power. But the joke was on him, because his reign would prove short-lived and he would only survive Melisande by two years before his life was unexpectedly snuffed away. Amalric the Spare was now Amalric the King. (laughs) There was one problem, though. Melisande had been the last queen of Jerusalem to produce any lasting, healthy male heirs. We'll come back to that a little later, because it's important to Sabella's story. Sabella's mother has her own interesting history and pedigree. Agnes of Courtney is remembered even less fondly than the likes of Alice of Antioch by chroniclers such as William of Tyr. William would later pin the collapse of the kingdom of Jerusalem squarely on her shoulders. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) So who was this woman that our William of Tyr just did not like? It's any woman with (laughs) boobs and a vagina. Like he does not like women. (laughs) Unless they're Melisande, oh, yeah. who's above repro- reproach. Yeah, because, she, <laughs> oh God, I'm not even there. <laughs> Agnes was cut from the same cloth of ambition as Alice had been. She was born to Jocelyn II of Edessa. Edessa would famously fall to Adabig Zengi's forces in 1144, depriving Agnes of a home and serving as the inspiration for the Second Crusade. To make matters worse, her father would later be captured by Zengi's son, Nureddin, and remain in captivity many long years before finally dying in a Muslim prison. Agnes, having only her beauty and status as an exiled princess of Outremer, was married off in her early teens to a man who we are told was significantly older than her. 
Lucky for Agnes, though, <laughs> her first husband died alongside Eleanor of Aquitaine's uncle, Raymond of Antioch, in the Battle of Enob. By the age of 21, Agnes and her mother were essentially homeless after her mother sold the hereditary claim to Edessa to her then-imprisoned husband to the Byzantine Empire. So it's one of those situations where, like, Edessa has already fallen, but because her husband is in prison, yeah. Agnes's mother's in this really weird spot where she can't support her children. Yeah. She can't remarry because her husband's in prison. Yeah, he's not dead. <laughs> he's not dead. He's not dying anytime soon. <laughs> and so she is very vulnerable. So she reaches out to the Byzantine Empire and is like, listen, we don't have Edessa in our control, but if it ever comes back, it's yours now. Yeah, you can have it. It's for you. <laughs> Please feed my children. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Um, so that's exactly kind of what happens yeah. is the Byzantine Empire. Exactly kind of. <laughs> exactly kind of. Uh, the Byzantine Empire like takes them in. Yeah. But seeing as how Agnes was still young and beautiful, she was an easy commodity to barter with. And so Agnes managed to secure the hand of a rising nobleman in Jerusalem by the name of Hugh of Abelin. That sentence didn't make you mad? She's a she's a beautiful hot commodity to barter with. I, Rachel, I <laughs> look. <laughs> I'm like silently simmering over here. <laughs> Everyone's heard my out outwardly simmering. <laughs> and then Hugh of Abelin did the thing that so many men of the Crusader era do um, in stories like these. Oh no! He went and he got himself captured in battle and was kept as a hostage. Dodge it! She's like, no, no. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So by this point, Agnes was no stranger to woe. She had lost a father and a husband already, and we can imagine she must have made grief and anxiety look good because she managed to catch the eye of the king of Jerusalem's younger brother, Amalric. And so this She's is... She's like, I'm already married. If you kill him in that prison over there, maybe. <laughs> and so this is where Sabella's parents finally meet in our story. I like to think Amalric found a veiled Agnes crying alone in a tower just as the sun was dipping over the horizon. And of course he offered his sympathies to the grieving wife who did not know when or if her husband would ever be released. And of course Agnes accepted because she was a woman and women are weak. Okay. I just threw up on my mouth like eight <laughs> times during that whole scene. <laughs> not long after, Agnes and Amalric were married. Okay. I hate to be the person who asks what the fuck, but that's like my job here. What the fuck? <laughs> What's wrong, Kat? So many things. Like, like the fact that she's already married. Oh, that's that's the main that's the main one, yeah. Well, guess what? Nope, I don't want to. <laughs> Hugh of Abelin eventually does get released. And then dies? No. Oh, God. And he goes to find her. Oh, no. And she's like, oh, no, I thought you were going to die in that prison. So as I'm reading this story, I got the impression Agnes didn't have any say in the matter. Well, yeah, no, she's a woman. Amaric, Amaric was basically like, you're beautiful and I want you. And he's she's like, a prince of Jerusalem. She's like, but my husband. Like, but my and he's like, no, no, you're beautiful. And she's like, but my lawfully wedded, I don't know <laughs> if I said that back then, husband is over there. Yeah, but Very he's not alive. here, and I'm here, no, no, and but, I want you. Okay, but but I'm I want just, you. I'm just saying. But but I bought you. That's right. I bought that's you. That's weird to say out You're loud. Mine no, you gotta say it prettier for me to accept it. I paid a handsome 
dowry of money and sweet nothings that's only to slightly secure better. That's only your slightly hand better. in marriage to me. Do I? Uh, pretty things <laughs> kind of caught my eye. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so as I mentioned, Hugh of Abelin is eventually released. He goes to find her. We have no idea what he thought of Agnes and Amalric's marriage. He evidently knew well enough to keep his mouth shut and accept a hastily drafted annulment. Yeah, he probably wasn't a fan of it. <laughs> probably He not. probably was like, darling, I'm home. And she's like, about that. Like, that we have a slight she's problem. Like, we have a house guest. Excuse me? It's you. In my chair. The house guest <laughs> is you. You are the guest. Nice. My husband. <laughs> the, the, the current husband, who's not you, is over there. <laughs> But yeah, we can basically, we basically have the understanding that an upjumped noble would have had no chance of circumventing the wishes of the royal family, especially not when Queen Melisande herself was said to have stood as a formal witness to the marriage ceremony. You can't just do that. I mean, she did. I knew that. And nobody's going to go against her. It's problematic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And again. It was like, mommy, I would like to marry this beautiful woman. And she's like, she's. She's already married. And he's like, yes, but she's beautiful. And she's like, well, so I was just like, I'm time for this. you probably start a civil war if I say that. Let's do it. <laughs> for what it's worth, history didn't record what Agnes thought of her husband's swap either. So we can't be certain she consented to the marriage. Well, of course they didn't record how this much she thought. situation? Situation? Such a situation. Situation? <laughs> is going to um, come back later. Oh, good. Very soon. So, oh God. <laughs> so when Amalric and Agnes were married, Amalric's older brother, Baldwin, was king and in good health. He was newly married to a child bride of the Byzantine Empire, and they all had every reason to believe she would one day deliver him hearty heirs. Do you remember this was the 12-year-old Theodora? What? Wait, what? Remember when Baldwin married the 12-year-old Theodora? Oh, yeah. And remember, like, he was supposedly this wild, roguish dude who, like, had lots of bastards, but he met his 12-year-old bride and suddenly changed his ways. Yeah, fell in love with a 12-year-old. Like, dude, she's 12. Yeah. Like, not, not very many 12-year-olds are pretty enough to, like, that's a hard time for women in their lives. <laughs> well. Puberty's real. <laughs> <sighs> Six years after that marriage... Baldwin was dead from an inexplicable illness that came on suddenly that may or may not have been poison. Baldwin never got a chance to get his child wife pregnant, thank God. Jesus. (laughs) And so Amalric now found himself to be king. There's just one problem. So the hot core was more than happy to accept Amalric as their king. He just can't be married to Agnes? He just can't be married to Agnes. Did you? Oh, this is going to make me so mad. I know. So they basically were like, she is a wicked woman and this is bigotry. She's like, she had no say in this. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> so again, they were like, you know, bigamy is kind of a no-no, but mostly they just didn't like her. Yeah. You can't marry the person you're fucking on the side. You can just fuck them on the side. Exactly. But like, you can't marry them. Also, like, it's totally your fault, even though you had no say in your husband's swap. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Amalric agrees to the annulment, but with one stipulation. The legitimacy of his two children by Agnes, Sibella, and Baldwin was to remain intact. And if he remarried, any children he had with the 
with the second marriage would fall in the line of succession behind Baldwin and Sibella. Hey, at least he did that part right. It was something. I guess <sighs> one point for a moment. Yeah, I'm going to throw my wife away <laughs> after I just stole her from her perfectly fine husband, even though he was in jail. And then, as lo- but it's okay because my kids are fine. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just do that. Well, he did that. No, I see that. I hear that. <laughs> but like, God. The shit people got away with. <laughs> it gets worse, Kat. God damn it. It always does. <laughs> the hot core would spend the next two years hammering out negotiations with the Byzantine Empire to send over a new child bride for Amaric. No. I don't know if you know this, but child brides were a top export for the Byzantine Empire, apparently. Mm, you guys can't see my disgusted face, but here we are. The lucky bride-to-be was Byzantine Emperor Manuel's grandniece, and her name is Maria Comneni. Maria is only about seven years older than Sibella when she marries her father at the ripe old age of... 14. Yes. It was. I hate being right. (laughs) Guess how old Amalric is. 50-something. Not quite. Damn it, 40. In his early 30s. Okay. Still not great. So a brief note on Maria Comneni. The teenage Maria was intended to stand in for Byzantine interests in the Outremer. Just like the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire viewed the various kingdoms along the Levant as being subservient to them. Maria would quickly learn that Amalric had no intention of sharing any power with her. (laughs) Between him and his older brother, they had seen how difficult it was to remove a woman from power once she had been established, as had been the case with their mother, Melisande. As a Byzantine princess, Maria is not content to be pushed to the sidelines. Despite the fact that Amalric makes it clear that his two children by Agnes come first in the line of succession... Maria will spend her entire life championing the interests of her own children. She and Amalric have one daughter that survives to adulthood, and her name is Isabella. So did she know the stipulation? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She knew the stipulation, but she still was like... I mean, she can't... Obviously, she can't say no, but like... Yeah. (laughs) She's still working behind the scenes, and um, so basically, Isabella is born... I want to say she's... Like twelve years younger than Sabella, but she's viewed as like a rival to yeah. Sabella. So I'm gonna derail our story for a moment. What? <laughs> so as I mentioned, child brides were a hot commodity in the Byzantine Empire. Amalric does older it feel brother... icky when you say that out loud? Yeah. Like, it does. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure. So, like how I mentioned, Baldwin <laughs> the Third had married Theodora. Mm-hmm. So she's approximately 17 when Baldwin dies, and Amalric immediately boots her from Jerusalem. Oh, that sucks. You can't have a teenage dowager queen running around, Kat, okay? It's awkward. You can maybe it's a little awkward. I don't know. (laughs) So Theodora is essentially exiled to her dower lands in the city of Acre, abandoned to her own devices in the boredom of widowhood. That's terrible. At 17. (laughs) She's like, oh... And it is there that she engages in a scandalous love affair that would have made Eleanor of Aquitaine proud. Oh, okay. The man happened to also be her uncle. And unlike Eleanor and Raymond, we know for a fact that this incest happened. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) So the man in question's name is Andronicus. Playboy. Andronicus? Andronicus. Jesus Christ. 
Greek names. Oh, I'm aware it's Greek. Right. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm very tempted to do a series on Byzantine women just to get the crazy Greek names. Yeah. So, yeah. so Andronicus is known as a playboy and a libertine of the Byzantine Empire, and he's a future emperor himself. At the age of 50. No. He already had a reputation for seducing young maidens and pissing off his cousin in Constantinople, as well as the leaders of the Crusader states. And he's already seduced several teenage princesses. So I just feel like Burbage is important because we all know that he probably didn't seduce them. He probably forced them. <laughs> well, uh, it was apparently a love match with Theodora. No. Okay. Because they end up running away together. I mean, it's probably just a match of convenience for her because she's like, I have nothing now. Oh, no. She oh, ran. No. She she left the city to go find him and be with him. Oh, Guess where they go? No idea. Damascus. I don't know. Yes. Shit, I was, I was <laughs> they kidding. They go to Damascus. <laughs> Nur din offers oh, them no. sanctuary because Emperor Manuel mm. in the Byzantine Empire is pissed. Oh, no. And he's coming for Andronicus. Whoops. And then Amalric in Jerusalem is also pissed because he's like, listen, I didn't want her here, but you can't go deflowering a dowager queen. You can't I do it. I mean, you, if you wanted to control what she did, you could have kept her at the castle or well, wherever you away. are. That's they, your fault. <laughs> they go to Damascus and then they end up traveling the east and like taking in the sights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What does the crazy love affair of Theodora and Andronicus have to do with our story? I bet you're about to tell me right now. Absolutely nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's Outside rude. of pissing off Stella's <laughs> father. I just thought it was fun. It's great. I like it. <laughs> it's it's her. It's Theodora's happy ending. I was like, somebody needs it's to It's her go. big, like, fuck you to him. She's yeah. like, you want to boot me? Fuck you. I'm going to go marry this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Andronicus is um not a good dude. Oh, fuck. He, uh... I might tell that story. Mm. I might tell it because I was okay. I read it and I was like, "This is this is icky." <laughs> Saint Bartholomew's Day oh, badness. No. Okay. Yeah, we might tell it. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. I like how you say we like I'm gonna be involved. <laughs> anyway, back to our story. So Amalric's match with Maria Komneni is far more palatable to the hot core of Jerusalem because it maintains the alliance with the Byzantine Empire. And it also manages to get rid of pesky Agnes. But don't fret for Agnes. I'm kind of fretting. <laughs> she goes back to her second husband, Hugh of Abelin. You mean her first husband? Well, she had another husband before him, but he died. Remember in battle with Raymond of Antioch? Oh. Yeah. I talked. I said it very, very, with one sentence. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> She's had many husbands. Interesting. This isn't her last one. Oh, my God. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I love how the, the last husband's like, you couldn't have come back to me? And she's like, no, that was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he died. The first I... husband died. And then the second husband is the one she went back to. Wait. So the first husband was the one who was in the imprisoned? He, he, he died on the battlefield. Her father was imprisoned. But you said the other guy was imprisoned, and then oh yeah, he, he was in prison God, too. And then he your own story. <laughs> so her her father was imprisoned and then died in prison, and yeah. then her first husband she was married to for like a year, but he died in battle with Raymond of Antioch. Uh, but then how did and she... then her second husband? No, hold on. Her second husband is Amalric. 
No, that's her third husband. Oh my fucking God. So the second husband was captured by Saladin's forces and was in prison. And then that's when Amalric saw beautiful crime. She had two imprisoned husbands? The first one was never imprisoned. He was, he just died in battle. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This all happened like before she was like 20 years old. Okay. Too many husbands. My God. And then Amalric So she went back to the guy who was imprisoned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I said. Oh, you okay. said no. I'm sorry. I got confused <laughs> because her dad. I was confused. confused. <laughs> oh, anyway, God. so like, okay, she get... goes back to him, and he's like, "The fuck, you don't, you didn't want me then, but you want me now." She's like, "I didn't have a choice, but I have one now. Would you like me?" And he's like, "Would yes. you like me?" Yes, please. <laughs> uh, so, Sabella's around the age of seven when her father becomes king, and her parents divorce. She and her brother would not only be separated from their mother, but from each other as well. Oh, wow. Baldwin remains in the capital and is tutored by our old frenemy, <laughs> William of Tyr. Ew. I just, real quick, <laughs> what is he? This looks like a medical hat. Like, I know it's not. Is it supposed to be like a Pope helmet? Yeah. Helmet? <laughs> it's supposed to be like a bishop's hat. Got it. It's great. And that's a, that's a feather pen and paper. Wow. That's... <laughs> We will post pictures of Rachel's beautiful <laughs> character maps. I'm not an artist. No, it's amazing. I just love it. It's the effort that counts. <laughs> I thought the dresses were capes to be serious for a second. I was like, man, who cares? Oh. They kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to try to draw veils, and then I was like, no, Everything it's not about happening. this is amazing. <laughs> I love when you do hand me hand drawn pictures. It's great. So, Sabella herself is sent to the convent of Bethany and found a mentor and another friend from our past. Why do we always get sent to convents? Fuck. Do you remember Melisande's baby sister, Yvette? Yes. So she becomes Sabella's mentor. Interesting. So she's still, she's still alive and she is, uh, as Yvette's the one who's like in charge of the, the convent. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah. So Yvette had been the abbess of the convent of Bethany for decades now. The convent was the most powerful religious institution outside the city of Jerusalem itself. By this point, Yvette managed to attain power for herself completely independent and absent of a masculine influence in her life. I like to imagine that she's this wizened and harder, hardened old woman played by Diana Rigg, a.k.a. Elena Terrell. Hell yeah. That's how I picture her. I like it. Yep. So Yvette became Sabella's mentor and legal guardian, and she would be cloistered behind closed walls and away from the politics of Jerusalem for the next couple of years. Lucky her. (laughs) And had things gone the way they were expected in a monarchy such as this, Sabella likely would have disappeared into the pages of history mentioned as a footnote in another man's story as soon as a suitable marriage alliance had been found for her. But the goddesses of fate had weaved a different path for Sabella. A couple of years after being confined to the convent, Sabella was summoned back to court in Jerusalem because her brother had been diagnosed with a tragic disease. Leprosy. We gave it away. Yes. (laughs) You gave it away earlier. (laughs) So the way that story goes is nobody noticed anything was off with him, but William of Tyr, because he'd become so close with um, Baldwin's like maybe nine or 10 at this point. Oh, well. Yeah. He's very young. That's sad. And he notices when Baldwin's playing with the kids, whenever he falls, whenever something hits him, yeah, he doesn't feel it at all. Oh, interesting. So he's immediately like, oh, shit. And he does his tests, and that's when he determines Baldwin has leprosy. Oh, no. So for this time period, leprosy is basically a death sentence. Yeah. 
you don't know how long you're gonna live but you're not gonna live to like your full adulthood that bird can curse <laughs> <laughs> that bird was like no no so <clears throat> that's terrible so Amalric did not have any other male heirs at this point, and it suddenly became apparent that Sabella would very likely inherit the kingdom of Jerusalem for herself. Yes. Because they're not going to marry Baldwin off to somebody, and it's very yeah. unlikely he'll be able to even have a have child. Kids, yeah. yeah. As we know, women can't be trusted to rule on their own. They need a strong man at their side to handle the tough decisions and weather the emotional outbursts. And so it becomes imperative that King Amalric and the Hot Core find Sabella a suitable husband. Sabella's like, fuck that. That sounds fun. <laughs> I wish she was like Melisande did it just fine. <laughs> she did. Yeah. <laughs> she uh she snatched her husband. Yeah. <laughs> right to obedience. Oh man. And as we know, whoever marries Sabella would likely become the next king of Jerusalem. Well, it has to be the right type of dude. <laughs> is that a real thing or <laughs> do they does the right type of no. dude exist no. i don't know uh -uh. i think they are like mythical creatures like they are they exist in or books. a dragon yeah <laughs> books written by women exactly 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 <laughs> oh. finding the appropriate husband was no easy task now that sabella was a more serious candidate for heir like the squabbling Elizabeth experienced over her potential choice of husband, the choice of suitor became a political minefield for Sabella. If Sabella was married to a king or a prince in a neighboring kingdom, they would likely try to annex Jerusalem as an extension of their own empire. If Sabella married a nobleman within Jerusalem, they ran the risk of alienating other members of the court and plunging the kingdom into civil war. In the end... A Frankish outsider was chosen by the name of Stephen of Sankir. I think it's Sankir. I just love how all these... Sure. Stephen. 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 I just love how there's all these interesting <laughs> names. And then you got Stephen. Oh, we have some more interesting names coming. <laughs> oh, my God. Like Stephen and Baldwin. Stephen was the brother-in-law to King Louis VII of France. He ends up making a long trek to Jerusalem and lingered in the city for several months, basically being treated by the royal family. I love how they're worried about alienating the nobles if they choose one of their own. They're like, let's pull in a Frankish dude. That won't make anyone mad. <laughs> they don't have the history of yeah. yeah. You I guys. Mean, they, they know whatever they're going to do, it's going to cause problems, yeah. but... Um, it doesn't matter because he ultimately rejects Sabella and oh, returns to Europe. What the shit, dude? You can't, I mean, I guess you can't do that, but you can't do that. So no one why? knows why he turned down his child bride. Maybe he was like, she's four. Maybe let's not do this. Some historians speculate that Stephen saw the writing on the wall when it came to the decline of Christian influence in Jerusalem oh. and decided it was more trouble than it was worth. So at this point, Jerusalem is not the power it once was when Melisande and Folk and even her father before her, um, when they were in power. Yeah. They've already lost Edessa to the north. Most of Antioch is also gone. Mm -hmm. And the Muslim forces, they are being consolidated under Saladin. And yeah. he is very much like, people are terrified of him. Yeah. Um, so anyone who comes into Jerusalem knows it's just this huge headache that they're gonna have to deal with. It's fair. Yeah. 
At the end of the day, Sibella and her father were both publicly insulted. Worse yet, (laughs) it put the kingdom of Jerusalem in a bit of a pickle. The line of succession was not secure. Amalric still had hope of getting another male child out of his newer wife. Ew. (laughs) But he lived in constant fear that something might happen to him and leave Jerusalem without a strong successor. And as the fates would have it, this is exactly what ended up happening. Amalric did the thing so many unfortunate kings do in this era. He drank the water! He drank some unclean water. And then, boom, he got dysentery. Fucking dysentery. So, like, they need goddamn bumper strikers. Don't drink the water. There's dead bodies in it. <laughs> it's true. There's dead bodies oh, in it. Don't drink God. it. Don't drink the water. King Amalric was only 38 years old when he died. That's aggressive. It was up to the hot core to choose between the two oldest children Amalric had left behind. Oh, I was like, he is dead. <laughs> you know. just said. I know. It was, a, it was an awkward pause. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Option A was the unwed and inexperienced 14-year-old Sabella. Option B was the 13-year-old Baldwin, cursed with leprosy and a short life expectancy. Did you say option one and option B? I thought I said option A. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention when you said an option, but like for some reason B sounded wrong. Listen, <laughs> their choices are between an unwed old hack, Sabella. Option one and 14, option B. Or the leopard boy. I king. mean, if you actually, die. If you actually like take a second to think about that, you're dumb. Like, it's obviously don't be afraid to choose the woman. Well, they went with option B. You fucking <laughs> What did you expect? I expected them to do the right thing, but I, that's on me. I told that's you. That's on me. I know. I told you her brother was king. I know. You think she was going to be queen before I her brother? I just chose to think it was Girls a moniker he gave not himself. not come before boys, cat. Oh my God. He's dying. Know your place. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> he has fucking leprosy. <laughs> he can't feel when shit hits him in the arm. He's going to get stabbed with a poison dart and everyone's going to be like, oh my God. And he's like, what? And they're like, oh my God, your arm. <laughs> His arm is missing. Yeah, he's like, well, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's a problem. That seems like Doesn't a problem. Hurt, though, so it's yeah, not... I can't even feel that. That's so weird. Oh, poor boy. I'm getting faint though, because that's a lot of blood. <laughs> it's at this point that the sickly 13-year-old Baldwin becomes King Baldwin the Fourth of Jerusalem. Can you imagine how pissed off you would be as Sabella. You're like, she's dying. I she's not. I I I just I don't get the impression she oh. wanted it. Okay. Plus, she's also she's also rage raged. <laughs> she's also raised in this environment where like girls are just supposed to be wives. I know. That's it. She's just supposed to be a wife. Gross. Her only duty in life. Gross. Serve the man. Yeah, but what's wrong with have, that? If you have figures around you rising to he'll, power, he'll protect her. Just, he'll no. take care of her. Does he? He'll be like as old as her dad, and he'll be like her father husband. Ugh. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> What's wrong with that? So many things. Uh, So one of Baldwin's first acts as king was to recall his mother, Agnes, back to court. Cool. Okay. And from that moment on, Agnes would... He's like, yo, mom. (laughs) Agnes would reintegrate herself into both her children's lives and play an active role in Jerusalem's politics. That makes me happy. Okay. Point one for Baldwin. I know you said he wins in the end, but I'm going to count. (laughs) Naturally, people hated her for it. Because again... Women are not supposed to speak, much less make decisions for large groups of men. Do you want the sickly 13-year-old to do it for you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. He's only missing half his face, but it's he fine. can still make decisions. It's fine. Agnes would be maligned. It's just his face, not his brain. <laughs> Agnes <laughs> would be maligned by the likes of William of Tyr for being meddlesome and conniving. That has to be like a badge of honor for women in this time. I like to think Agnes was proud of she, it. She just like wears a star that has William's name on it. And she just, just like points to it every time she sees her. She's like, so, <laughs> so. Stop it. What? That that rivalry very much a thing yes. and it'll come into play later oh that makes me so happy she's <laughs> like what you write about me this time asshole <laughs> surprisingly enough baldwin does end up surviving for about 10 years but his condition was rapidly declining so like, again do you cheer for that or like how do you <laughs> i'm just i'm just letting you know, I know. <laughs> they they fully expect him to die they think it's going to be in a couple of years he'll last about 10 okay um and again think he's like a teenage viserys okay at the oh end of God. House of the Dragon. Yeah. Poor guy. Yes. Oh, no. Much of his reign was spent dealing with two major issues. One of those major issues was a man by the name of Yusuf Ibn Ayyub Inb Shadhi. History remembers him as... Salud, Sal- Saladin. Saladin. Sa- Saladin I got the S and the A and the L right. <laughs> Saladin. Sa- Saladin is officially here. Okay. Welcome. Welcome sir. to the party. <laughs> So, history remembers Saladin as one of the greatest Muslim military commanders to ever exist. His star will go on to eclipse the likes of Adabeg Zangi and Nureddin both, and he'll become the first sultan of Egypt and Syria. At this point in our story, Saladin is here, and he's a big problem. Oops! Oopsie poopsie! The other issue was domestic in nature. Sabella still needed a husband. (laughs) She's like, do I though, at this point? Do I? Naturally, she did not get a say in who her husband was to be. The hot core chose a man named William of Montferrat, and he was known as William Longsword. Oh, why? Because <laughs> they had a longsword. Is that a it's, euphemism? Or it's because that... he was a soldier. He was like a well-renowned soldier. Boring. <laughs> I wonder if these people ever like were so mad about their moniker. They're just like, what the fuck is that bullshit? <laughs> William was a promising match, skillful in arms, and described as having a very generous and open disposition and manly courage by the likes of William of Tyr. Okay, so he's obviously a terrible fucking dude because (laughs) William of Tyr loves him. He even managed to get his new young bride pregnant almost immediately after they were married. Oh god, I know that that's like a a win, but like the way you said that makes me want to vomit. (laughs) But a string of bad luck was now attaching itself to Sibella and the royal family of Jerusalem because just five months after they were married, William died of malaria. Turns out, like, this whole area didn't agree with him very well because he just got sick and died. Yep. Shit, man. (laughs) (laughs) Sibella was now pregnant and a widow, and the succession of Jerusalem was once again in crisis. Oh, that sucks. Sibella is just 17 years old. God. A couple of months later, she gives birth to a son, and he was named. I don't know. You don't have it written on here. Oh, there's a whole other page. Hold on. I'm going to guess. Where the fuck? Oh. Well, you fucker. It's Baldwin. I'm like, it's not hard, Kat. I told you there were so many Baldwin. You did, and I already story. blacked it out because I didn't want it to be true. She she names him after her brother. Are you fucking kidding me? So she's like brother Baldwin and son Baldwin. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Could have named him after your dead shitty husband at least. 
That name's not taken anywhere William's except for William Matier. Too boring. Ugh. Baldwin isn't boring. <laughs> Sorry if your name is Baldwin. <laughs> it's a little more interesting. I don't know that it is. I mean, I have Baldwin. Like Bald- <laughs> you could be like, I mean, what? So what would the nickname for Baldwin be? Bald- Baldy? I don't know. <laughs> hey, Win. Hey, Win. That's a that's a girl nickname. <laughs> Predictably, the widowed teenage Sibella became prey for the vultures of Jerusalem looking to steal her hand away and nab her future kingdom. Everything about that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> We're told that her brother and William of Tyr both managed to fend them off for a couple of years. But in time, the politicking picked up and a series of new names were put forth. Yes. Um, one of the names is, it's another French lord who's, related to king louis the seventh it's another french lord they're like we tried that already it didn't work well no stop it you stop so the first (laughs) one falls through but uh just there will be another french lord no it's it's a thing anyway so the only suitor that managed to gain any traction with sabella herself was a man by the name of don't you fucking dare are you gonna say baldwin a man by the name of Baldwin. You fucking fuck. Of Abelin. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, Baldwin of Abelin becomes her new suitor. He's not on there. Oh, okay. I was like... Oh, but his brother is. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this was a decent match on paper, but not that paper. Oh, okay. Not the paper I'm holding. <laughs> Character map. <laughs> In addition to already having the titular name of Baldwin, he was of the noble Abelin family. Most of Jerusalem would have accepted him as Sibella's king. There was just one problem. His name was fucking Baldwin. (laughs) Sibella's mother did not like him on account of him being the brother-in-law of her her former rival, Maria Colmeni. Yeah, that's fair. So. It's a valid reason to. Time to rewind our story a little bit and catch up with Maria. Okay, but before we rewind the story, (laughs) I'm going to make a ridiculous comment that you can either tell me to cut or not cut. But like, can you imagine that you are married to someone named Baldwin and your child's name is Baldwin? You have sex with a guy named Baldwin. So you are eventually going to scream out the name Baldwin during sex. (laughs) Who is your father's or uncle's name? Yeah, like, is there confusion there? Like, I mean, just like, (laughs) Do you like, I don't know. You're I not just, cutting this, but yeah, you're right. I just feel like it would be so weird where you're, you're having just like, sex. That's assuming he's pleasuring like, you, and first That's true. But ama- imagine just like you scream Women his name. Women aren't allowed and to your talk son, during sex. Your son comes running in like, mom, what's wrong? You're like, what? oh no. Why do you think women are making any I noises just, at this time period? They lay there in silence. You're not wrong. But like, I just, I'm just imagining. Yeah. Just the awkwardness. She's of. like, oh, oh. Baldwin, and then yeah. the, and then her son's like, "Yes." The son comes from in another room. Son comes in the room, like, "What's up, mom?" And he's like, "She's like, don't come in here." Oh man. Oh. Anyway. Anyway. Back to Maria. <laughs> that was cat's weird ass random tangent no, for the day. We're keeping. That. I think it's a fair question to it's pose. Weird. Fair listener, what do you think? Yeah. Maybe. Don't do you name have her. any children that are named after your husband? And like, does that get weird? We would like to know. I would hope it gets weird. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like if it doesn't get weird, there might be some questions that should be raised. (laughs) Following the death of Amalric, Maria was in an awkward position. Under normal circumstances, she might have expected to stick around Jerusalem to help her stepson rule. But Baldwin already had a living mother and one that hated her to boot. Once Agnes was recalled to court, 
Maria politely excused herself. She's like, I'm just going to go. This, this is weird. <laughs> like, oh, it's the woman I replaced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is known for being scheming and manipulative and might try to have me killed. So I'm going to go. Amalric granted the lands and income of Nablus as part of Maria's dower holdings. A couple of years later, she married a man by the name of Balion of Abelin. This marriage alliance served to do two things. It kept Maria Komneni relevant, and it made the Abelin brothers the most powerful lords in the kingdom of Jerusalem after the fiefdoms of Nablus and Abelin were combined. Interesting. Um, the other interesting thing about the Abelin family, so this lordship that the Abelins hold, it's fairly new. Yeah. I believe... It was either Melisande's father or her husband. They created this lordship. It's south of Jerusalem, and it's kind of between Jerusalem and Egypt, which is where the, the Muslim faction is. Okay. So it's created as like a border. It's like a buffer. Buffer, exactly. Okay. Yes. So they're also kind of considered adjunct nobles. Okay. But they are now the most powerful family in Jerusalem. Interesting. Maria Komneni and the Abelin family were thus positioned to be a very strong rival faction to the one forming by Agnes at court. And you better believe Agnes was whispering in Sibella's ear, counseling her daughter to reject the match of Baldwin, who again was Balion's brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, before Baldwin could formally ask for Sibella's hand in marriage, the bad hand of luck struck again. <laughs> Stop it. And Baldwin of Abelin was captured by Saladin's forces. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Agnes is like, shit. No, Agnes is happy. Oh, well, you know, you're right. She you're doesn't right, you're want... Right, you're yeah. right, you're right. <laughs> Agnes is like... Agnes probably told people where to find this guy. So she's <laughs> like, hey, so this guy's She's the be type traveling. of woman who would do that. Yeah, she's like, these guys are going to be traveling. I would really appreciate it if you could capture them. Yes. <laughs> So from here is where the stories get a little muddled, and which version of events you believe depends entirely upon which perspective of history you subscribe to. Oh, good. It's generally accepted that at one point, Sibella took a shining to Baldwin because she apparently wrote him love letters while he was in prison and promised to wait for him once he got free and could return to her. Interesting. It takes some time, but Baldwin does manage to get himself free. But this is where it gets a little awkward. Oh. Because by the time Baldwin makes it back to the court of Jerusalem, Sabella has a change of heart. And she gives him the cold shoulder and publicly rejects him. Wow. We can imagine that must have been a mighty blow to his ego. But to I add salt like... to the wound, Baldwin of Abelin is in a bit of a financial pickle now. Oh no. To secure his freedom, Baldwin had promised to pay his ransom to Saladin retroactively. <gasps> and Saladin had demanded 200,000 besnants for Baldwin's ransom, which at the time had been the equivalent of asking for the ransom of a king. Oh, wow. Whoa. The general assumption is that Saladin was aware that some kind of formal proposal to Sibella had been offered. Saladin would have viewed Baldwin as the heir to the kingdom of Jerusalem at that point, and mm -hmm. that's why the ransom was so high. So did Sibella know about the ransom? Yes. So do you think maybe that had something to do with the fact that she shunned him? S also, I'm pretty sure Agnes was just like whispering in her ear. She's like, you loved him? 
this is a stupid silly love triangle thing. <laughs> would you like to tell my story? I would love to. Because that's exactly. Get... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so in I thought some... you were mad at me. I was like, I'm sorry. No, you're literally, I'm like, are you reading my notes? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in some of the stories, um, they tell us that Sabella refused to, die, to tie herself to him because he was yeah. so indebted to the Muslim faction. Yeah, now you're a financial burden. You're not anything that I can love. <laughs> In another one of the stories, we're told that the current Count of Tripoli and Prince of Antioch were also in cahoots and planning a staged coup to unseat Sabella's brother and place both her and Baldwin of Abellin on the throne in, wow. in her brother's place. Wow. A third version of events suggests that Agnes was whispering in her son and daughter's ears, convincing them to set Baldwin of Abellin aside to prevent the Abellin family from yeah. gaining more power. So they're like yes. our uh, geese family yes. in this story. <laughs> yes, Agnes is very much she very much a geese. Yeah, well, not not Agnes. The Bellins are like a geese family. Like no one wants them, but they keep oh. getting power. Oh, it, <laughs> I would say the geeses were very strategic. Yeah, that's true. and I would say Agnes is more like the geeses. Okay, they are powerful. It's kind of hard to compare. Okay. But we do wow. Just shoot my comparison. No, down, no, Rachel. but we it's do. Fine. We do have that flavor of rivals um, emerging in court. So the Abellans almost would be kind of like the Bourbons. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Either way, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whichever version of events you choose to go with, the result is the same. Baldwin of Abellan was jilted. His family was insulted, and he was now in deep debt. And to add even more salt to the wound, Sabella's affections had been snatched up by a newcomer. Uh-oh. Some guy named Guy de Lusignan. Stop it. His name is actually Guy. Yep, It's there it French, is. so it's actually Guy. Okay. Guy de Lusignan, but it's spelled Guy. Yeah. My friend Jersey made that joke. He was like, are you going to say some guy named Guy? And I was like, yes, I am. You bet your ass I am now. <laughs> So, some guy named Guy. A little bit on this guy named Guy. <laughs> By pure coincidence, oh, no. I was watching a documentary on YouTube about William Marshall. Yeah. Who was a knight in England. He famously rescued Eleanor of Aquitaine. Okay. And I'm getting ready for work and I suddenly hear the names and then Guy de Lusignan and his brother were causing mischief in, in Aquitaine. Oh, no. And they were going against her son. And I was immediately like, like Como say what? Of course they were. Those <laughs> hooligans. Anyway. Wow, Grandma, so, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is Guy de Lusignon? Lusignon. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Guy was pretty much a nobody landed knight out of France and a fourth son who stood to inherit nothing. Oh, wow. Even though he also came from Crusader stock, he had very little in the way of political experience. Naturally, the court hated him. And as we're going to find out, like, it's it's perfectly understandable that they hate yeah. him. He is literally, like, he's going to become worse than Stephen the Blah. Is this, like, some weird, like, when uh, Edward met uh, Elizabeth on the side of the road? Is, like, that how they met? Or, like, we don't know? She just randomly mm -hmm. was suddenly infatuated with a guy named Guy? No. Oh. We do know why it happened. Oh. So. Okay. It did not help that it was rumored that his older brother was sleeping with Agnes. 
Agnes brought them to court. Oh, shit. It was Agnes who brought the two men to court, and most contemporaries of the time pin the blame squarely on Agnes's shoulders, suggesting that it was she who encouraged her daughter's flirtations with the suitor more amenable to her own ambitions. Yep. <laughs> so she was basically like, you don't need Baldwin. He's in a prison. Here's this beautiful French man who, like, ignore the fact that he smells like cheese. But <laughs> he'll do what cheese I say. <laughs> so I think you should, I think you should chat with him. You don't need an escort. You can go hang out with him by yourself. It's fine. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Either way, the romance between Sabella and Guy de Lusignan caused quite the scandal. According to some of the sources, Guy full-on seduced Sabella before they were officially married, and so her brother was forced to put a shotgun wedding together to preserve his older sister's virtue and reputation. Wow. Agnes will receive the brunt of the blame for the events that followed, for reasons, but there's another person's agency contemporaries conveniently like to ignore in this matter, and that's the agency of Sabella herself. For better or worse, Sabella appeared to be utterly besotted with Guy de Lusignan, so it is very possible that Sabella decided to commit the cardinal sin of this era and simply choose a husband for herself because she fell in love. How fucking dare you? Women aren't allowed to choose their you own can't just husbands. Do that. Duh. <laughs> And we can make the safe assumption that it might have been love because she chose to stick by his side for the duration of this story, even when it's to her own detriment. Uh From this point on, both Guy and Sabella were invited to appear alongside her brother Baldwin during all public ceremonies and began to take part in making decisions for the government. Interesting. It's at this point that the stability of the court in Jerusalem begins to fracture because now two factions are forming. One favors Sabella and Guy, and it is led by the Queen Mother Agnes. Other allies included Agnes's brother, Jocelyn of Edessa, and Raymond de Chatillon, Um, another French dude. He's also like, uh, he's of Crusader stock. He's he's a warrior for their faction. Saladin will go on the like famously hate him. Oh, okay. We'll talk about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the other faction is spearheaded by the jilted Ibelin clan, including Maria Comneni, the Count of Tripoli, and the Prince of Antioch. They officially throw their hat in the camp of Sibylla's rival and half-sister, Isabella. So Isabella's like five right now. Oh. <laughs> She's just their puppet. Like, we don't want this grown-ass human. We want this moldable five-year-old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By this point, William of Tyr, once a staunch supporter of his pupil, Baldwin IV, has now jumped ship. Oh, God. So a little bit of background on why William of Tyr ends up jumping ship. Mm-hmm. So as we've discussed, he's already been like very loyal to the royal family. Mm-hmm. But he's had his eye on one specific position within the court of Jerusalem. And he doesn't get it? He throws a tantrum? He wants to be the patriarch. The leader of the church. Um, Yeah, so when the old patriarch finally kicked the bucket, William of Tyr was the next obvious candidate being the most qualified. It's never the who's the most qualified. We all know this. Yeah, because thanks to Agnes, she picks someone else. Well, now we know why fucking William of Tyr doesn't like her. Yeah. (laughs) So thanks to Agnes's intervention, a different man named... Heraclius is chosen. This man was also rumored. Is it Heraclius or Heracles? 
Oh, okay. Never mind. You're good. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was, I mean, it's close enough. Heraclius. So Heraclius. He's also. Sounds like a protractor. <laughs> he's also rumored to be Agnes's lover. Oh, for fuck's sake, Agnes. Come on. So this blatant, How many does she have? She's got a lot. She is a very sexy Nobody lady, cares? apparently. Oh, they do. That's why they don't oh, like her. Okay. I was like, okay, so um <laughs> Yeah, she's sleeping. Zoru with- got in trouble for having one. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's- Agnes is just like another flower plucked. <laughs> she she literally places the dude she's sleeping with in like the religious leadership position oh, in the city. That. She did it. Agnes, come on. Yep. Give him reasons to hate you. As we know, William of Tears is the main chronicler for this period. <sighs> the scandalous reputation Agnes retains in history comes courtesy of William of Tear, whom she jilted by denying him the position at court he coveted above all of, uh, above all others. My goodness. Now we understand. Yeah. History is written by the victors, and yeah. it's ri- like if they have a vendetta against you, they're gonna write it. Yeah. So. Take every colorful depiction of the events that follow with a grain of salt from here on out. Like the smallest grain of salt <laughs> possible. So William of Tyr ends up running off to the countryside to sulk following the promotion <laughs> of Heraclius. <laughs> it's generally believed that during this period where he's sulking in the countryside is when he's writing all of the histories of the he's kings like, and queens. Fucking Agnes. <laughs> and then he's like, freaking Alice who reminds me of Agnes because they both have A names. <laughs> The marriage between Sibella and Guy de Lusignon would go on to produce four daughters in total. And wow. Sibella, yeah. <laughs> and Sibella is mostly described as being deferential to her husband and embracing her new mantle of motherhood during this period. Okay. But Guy fell victim to the hubris that so many men in his position succumbed to. And I'm over time, <laughs> <laughs> he proves to be as arrogant as he is charming and does very little to mend the fractured relationships at court that his marriage inspired. In time, King Baldwin IV would grow frustrated and concerned over his brother-in-law's recklessness and incompetence. Baldwin IV did everything he absolutely could to keep his kingdom from falling apart, even as his own body started to do the same. Poor guy. Toward the end of his reign, he would go blind and need other people to help hold him up as he walked. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. He's like 22. That's the sad. I'm just that's like sad. Yeah. Didn't have any time to like be a kid or like yeah. just relax. Yeah. He got sick and then he became king. <laughs> By this point, Baldwin retires officially from his kingly duties and names Guy de Lusignon as regent of Jerusalem. Oh no. Baldwin knows full well that this is an unpopular decision with his nobles, but he has little choice in the matter as Guy is soon to become king anyway. Yeah, he's like, it's gonna happen, assholes. It's already gonna happen. He's like, get used to it. (laughs) At this moment in time, the Christian faction has managed to broker a truce with Saladin. But But relationships between the Crusader states deteriorate so significantly that they are fighting each other for territory and Antioch and Tripoli are both flirting with the idea of staging another coup against Jerusalem. (sighs) Meanwhile, Saladin is consolidating power. He has managed to conquer Egypt and Syria, uniting them under his own banner, and he's biding his time, and he's waiting, and he's watching. He's like, yeah, they're going to do most of this work Yeah, he's like, I don't (laughs) even have to do much. Yeah, just going to sit here and eat some grapes, maybe get fanned (laughs) by someone. (laughs) 
William of Tyr's solitude only lasts a couple of years. As the infighting and outremor continues, he eventually rushes back to the court in Jerusalem to try and stop the sinking ship of Jerusalem from going yes, completely because under. only he can save the sinking ship. <laughs> only William of, course, of Tyr yeah. can drive this fucker. William of Tyr <laughs> is going to save us all. Okay? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> William of Tyr. Sure. I just love that, like... He wrote all this when he was sulking, right? But mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here like, dude, if you weren't sulking, like if you didn't, if this didn't happen to you and you were not sulking and you yeah. were not angrily writing about Agnes and like putting crossings over her <laughs> eyes on our portraits, yes, you would have, you would not have been known to history. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have written the Chronicles yeah. that we all love to despise. So, thank you, Agnes, for being yeah. a terrible human. Thanks, and Agnes. Forcing William of Tyr to leave court and write history. I for mean, us. just because you think you're owed a position doesn't mean you deserve a yeah. position. Just because you've worked in something for such and such years, like and I have just a because you're the most qualified. Yeah, yeah. For I have a coworker who was not qualified for anything, and she loves to like say like how long she's been working and how long she's been doing her job. And I'm like, doesn't mean you've been doing it well, but that's fine. I mean, in this instance, William of Tyr is that obnoxious know-it-all who probably yeah. should have gotten the job. But yeah, you're still not owed anything. Yeah, you're not owed anything. You still got to work for your shit. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's whoever likes you more. It always is. And that's still true to this day. <laughs> By the year 1983, several new events occurred to further isolate Jerusalem from potential allies. Um, so up in the Byzantine Empire... Our friend Andronicus makes oh, his no. way back to the city. So He's like, do you remember me? I stole your dowager queen. <laughs> <laughs> so he, okay, so before he gets there, um, Emperor Manuel, who's who's one of the like very formidable Byzantine yeah. emperors, he dies. Damn it. So his wife, Maria of Antioch, who is Alice of Antioch's granddaughter, Ooh, hey. um, is trying to basically put everything in place for her son so she can be regent okay. but manuel's daughter also named maria from a you previous marriage stop it. <laughs> is also trying to stage a coup she's like that's mine actually and Thanks. as they're going against each other oh a third maria <gasps> no who happens to be andronicus's daughter rushes off to andronicus and is like hey the byzantine empire is up for grabs so andronicus goes there andronicus Andronicus, <laughs> and he murders both factions. Whoa, whoa! And then he murders a lot of people he in Byzantine. Both they get the Maries, Marias, yes, Marias, yes. He That's had them rude. all purged, and then he takes power in the Byzantine Empire, <laughs> and then everyone hates him, and he's killed. Okay, so there's some justice. So do you see why I'm saying like I should tell that story? You Don't should you tell think? that story. I think you should tell that story. So I can't normally, wait for you to tell that story. So normally the Byzantine Empire might be counted on to send some men if like something like They're that like, we be- have no idea what's going on right now. Can you please just call back later? Like we're we're dealing with things. <laughs> yeah, please call back later. Please call we- back later. <laughs> it's just a like do 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 Oh, uh, the Byzantine Empire can't come to the phone right now because we're all dead. We're fucked. <laughs> so that's happening. Oh no! And then Baldwin the Fourth's mother, Agnes of Courtney, succumbs to her fast failing health, and she dies. Oh shit! <laughs> Bye, Agnes. With her death goes the influence she wielded over her son. Yeah. Courtly favor in Jerusalem swings away from Guy de Lusignan and Sibella, and over to Raymond of Tripoli and the Abellan family. 
and Baldwin formally revokes Guy's status as regent. Wait, wasn't Raymond her brother? Um, this is a different Raymond. Fuck me. <laughs> Thought I knew all the things. There's so many Raymonds and There's so many too Baldwins. many things. <laughs> and Maria is dead. <laughs> um, mind you, he's doing this when he's kind of on his deathbed. So you can imagine, like, he's like, look, my arm just fell off. <laughs> a 20-year-old Viserys, like, when, like, when Viserys. That's the dinner party when yes. he's just like, come the fuck yes. on. Like... <laughs> Despite continuing to fracture the court, the people in charge now do prove to be more capable than Guy de Lusignon, but the slight is severe to him, so he's pissed now. Not only does Baldwin IV revoke Guy's position as regent, but he also boots Sibella further down in the line of succession by crowning her young son from her first marriage. Baby Baldwin, version 2.0, becomes... (sighs) Baldwin V of Jerusalem and co-ruler with his uncle, oh, no. Baldwin the Leper King. Oh no! Isn't this crazy? Bella's like the fuck. She's asshole. like, excuse me. I understand you're not <laughs> feeling great, but um, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Baby Baldwin the Fifth is, <laughs> is six or seven at this point. She's like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> A fucking six or seven year old over me? <laughs> And then there's Saladin. Oh no, Saladin's like, mm, it's my He's time just to watching. shine. So <laughs> at this point, the truce is officially over. Saladin kept his word. He did not enter Christian territory until the second that the truce ended, and then he began his march. When did wait? Like, but what ended the truce? Baldwin's it was just death? no. Baldwin's not dead oh. yet. I was like, wait, <laughs> there's there's just a truce. It was it was just a determined truce for like two years, whatever the year, oh. whatever the period was. When do we determine that truce? Did I miss? Like I just mentioned that there was a truce. Got it. I didn't okay. go into the details. Okay. Was this after uh, what's his face was sent back with the kingly kingly ransom, and then Sibylla was like, "No, <laughs> oh no, the truce happened after." Okay. That. The point is, the truce is over. I feel like I've missed part of the story, oh, but okay, the truce not, is over. It's not part of our story. There was okay. a truce. Now there's not anymore. No longer a truce. No longer. Saladin a truce. is here to he's, stay. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> We hear tale of several important battles taking place during this period that other history podcasts will cover in great detail. You can go listen to them. Listen but <laughs> one of the things that happens that we will mention is that Renaud de Chatillon emerges as a crusader hero and manages to lead a campaign deep into Islamic territory. And he nearly makes it to the city of Mecca itself. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Congratulations. This act will earn him acclaim in the Christian faction, but he will earn the permanent enmity of Saladin. Saladin's like, yeah, you're not. He's I'm like, not you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, Only I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Only I can do that to you guys. <laughs> and despite a few victories from Christian forces that gave the outrammer some brief false hope, Saladin's forces are near unstoppable. The fate of outrammer and Jerusalem itself is hanging in the balance by a thread, just waiting for an errant wind to come along and create a spark. I feel like that guy getting so close to Mecca, like, made salad and go, fuck, okay, let's do this. I've been <laughs> eating too many grapes. <laughs> He's like, all right. All right, it's <sighs> my time. Time to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> the spark ignites outside the fortress of Karak during a royal wedding. It's always during a royal wedding. Sabella's younger half-sister, Isabella, was removed from her mother's household around the age of five and betrothed to Raymond de Chatillon's stepson to marry her off to a supporter in the Sabella faction. 
<laughs> she's again, she's like she's only like five. Uh, when that happens. I just love that you say she's removed from her household. You she's know removed it's from probably, her mother's house. Yeah, you know yeah. it's probably forcibly. Yes. Her new home of Karak was a desert fortress on the border of Christian and Muslim territory. Can you imagine going somewhere new? Married. Let's just real quick just hang on that. Married to She's someone. Not married yet. You're She's going there to marry. Yeah. yeah. But like at five. Like you're pulled from your mother. She's getting married five. to the stepson of the like premier crusader general too, yeah. who is the one that is the thorn in Saladin's side. You are getting some target yes. marked on your back there, buddy. Her new home of Karak is important for keeping an eye on enemy movements and monitoring pilgrim movements from Muslim territories into Jerusalem. When it came time for Isabella to exchange marriage vows with her new teenage husband. I guess he's a teenager and not a 50-something year old. She's eight now. God, again. Guess who turns up outside the walls of the fortress, Cat? Probably Saladin. It's Saladin and his army. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He's he's mad at Raymond de Chatillion. He's like, your time has come, my friend. Yeah. So, so in the story, we are told that during the siege, Isabella's new mother-in-law was said to have reached out to Saladin, offering food from the wedding banquet in a gesture of hospitality and deference. Ever one to appreciate a well-timed gift, Saladin instructed his forces to aim their trebuchets away from the tower that Isabella and her husband were spending their first night in as husband and wife. So he agrees. He's like, oh, you've sort of invited me to your wedding. I'll make sure that our catapults and trebuchets do not hit the young couple getting married. Maybe if they're going to die, kill them before he (laughs) fucking has to consummate the marriage. I don't know. This act would spare the young couple the worst of the siege. Um, so here's the thing. It doesn't fill me with hope. <laughs> At the very least, he eases off the siege. Okay. He's hitting the other parts of the castle, but he's been told that one tower over there, don't hit it. Hey, look, you hear the fucking city being destroyed outside of our... It's fine. Consummate the marriage. It's fine. <laughs> don't get distracted. We don't know that they consummated no. it. Okay. Well, she, I, mean, I mean... She's a child. I know that hasn't stopped some people, but for the most part, they just, they have to sleep under the same roof. Okay. Um, the thing you need to know about Saladin is he has, um, he has his own kind of like noble honor. Yeah. So he apparently had a begrudging respect for Baldwin the fourth. Okay. Um, and he sent his own physicians to tend on him oh, wow. to try and help with the leprosy. Right. Well, maybe like him. I- <laughs> no. <I'm sorry. laughs> I kind of walked away from the story liking Saladin. Damn it. Sorry. Okay. Anyway. That's great. Back to the siege. Mm, I'm just mad at myself that I like Saladin now. As Baldwin. So so Baldwin the Fourth was like on his deathbed. He had retired. Like, can you just wait? Can you just wait? Like, let me die in some modicum this of peace. This is going to be his last stand. Aww. This is when Viserys enters the courtroom yeah. to save... Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra. So Baldwin makes arrangements to lead his army to the fortress of Karak and relieve them of the siege from Muslim forces. He leads the army. I remember. Did the, is this happening in Kingdom this, of Heaven? This, this yeah. happens in Kingdom of Heaven. I remember. Heaven. That yeah. scene stuck with me. Yeah. That actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I was too young 
to appreciate when, it. Yeah, to appreciate yeah. the fact that he had leprosy. Like, I didn't realize what leprosy was. Yeah, I didn't either. And just like, god damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Baldwin also maneuvers to have Sabella's marriage to Guy de Lusignan annulled. He's like, please fuck off. Like, this is So he's working. like, he, he goes off with his forces, but in the meantime, he tells his court, like, hey, I need you to draw up. I need you to figure papers. this out. I'm going to die from this, yeah. and I don't want that guy being king. Yeah. So. Shit. He consulted with the Patriarch of Jerusalem to figure out how this could be done while still honoring canon law. The Patriarch of Jerusalem, who is not really lived here. <laughs> the Patriarch of Jerusalem, who was put there by his mother. Yeah. So. Oh, no. As Baldwin is moving with his army towards Karak, the Patriarch tipped off Guy de Lusignan of oh, the king's plans. You can't just do that. He did. Predictably, Guy flees in the middle of the night. What no one anticipated at this point was that Sabella had no intention of letting her brother dissolve her marriage. And she too flees Jerusalem Oof. to join up with her husband in the city of Ascalon. I was going to say, does fleeing Nolan void the annulment? I don't think it does. But the fact that she went with well, him kind of creates problem. I mean, she has to sign it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, as Baldwin... <laughs> oh, no. He thinks he's got this covered. He's like, it's fine. I've got this. <laughs> yeah, he's leading... He's, like, barely hanging on to his oh. horse as they're marching through the desert. Okay. Um, at, at the end of the day, uh, a fight never breaks out because as soon as Saladin viewed the banners of Jerusalem over the horizon, he armies his... He orders his army to back He armies his orders out. He armies his orders out, yeah. He basically, he sees the Christian um, He's banners. like, not today. He's like, not, not ready he's for like, this. He's like, you know what? Respect for you, sir. I'm yeah. going to leave. We're Fucking not going to... Leper King is coming out? Like, let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Baldwin managed to save his half-sister, but when he returned to the city of Jerusalem, he found the other sister His sister-sister is not there. <laughs> his sister-sister. <laughs> Irritated and annoyed, no shit. <laughs> Baldwin issued a royal command to Sabella and Guy to return to get your asses back to here. return to court and stand trial for their marriage. Oh, they refused. No shit. <laughs> Baldwin then chased them all the way down to the city of Ascalon and demanded entry, but Sabella had the gates oh, barred to her brother. He's dying. <laughs> like, I mean, shit, dude. <laughs> so at that point, Baldwin, he's done. Baldwin's like, I'm going to go die peacefully now. If y'all <laughs> don't like, fucking mind. I'm done with you. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Like, I've done the best that I can yeah. to hold this all together. Oh, man. So, he returns to Jerusalem as the final dregs of his illness were catching up to him. He drafts a new will, once again naming the child king Baldwin V as his successor, and he names Raymond of Tripoli as the regent. If baby Baldwin V died before he could provide an heir, he left it up to the kings of England, France, and Germany, and the Pope in Rome to choose between Sibella and Isabella oh, wow. as the next queen of Jerusalem. Okay. I mean, I guess he made it like you can choose, but between these two women. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to go die now. I'm going to go die now. <laughs> this has been a real weird trip. <laughs> in April of 1185... Baldwin IV of Jerusalem closed his eyes for the last time. Rip. Baldwin IV ruled on borrowed time for 10 years. History has immortalized him with the moniker of the Leper King, but he is remembered fondly for his devotion to preserving the kingdom of Jerusalem, even as his body failed him. He was only 24 years he old. He did better than most kings yep. in prime health. Like, yes. that's amazing. Imagine 
if he had been allowed to live, yeah, what that might have looked like. I feel like that's why some people just aren't allowed to live. The kingdom of Jerusalem now has a choice to make. Do they crown baby Baldwin V as the sole ruler of Jerusalem and assign a regency? Or do they crown Sibella alongside her son, knowing full well that the power in Jerusalem will be in the hands of Guy de Lusignon? Mm-hmm. To find out the answer to that question, we'll come back for part two. I'm back for part two. I don't know two. why I needed to have that voice be weird, but here we are. Rest in peace, Baldwin IV. I told you, I like walked away from this story yeah. and I was just like, I don't normally. Look, this episode isn't about him, but it kind, it of, kind is. of is. <laughs> yeah, that's so sad. You know, crazy? Dying at 20, I didn't do shit God. before I was 20. Like, literally, yeah. I started, like, growing up at 24. <laughs> yeah, I think I woke up yeah. at 24. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That sucks. So, my sources for today's episode are, of course, Queens of Jerusalem by Catherine Penjonis. Thank you, Catherine Penjonis. <laughs> and the Wikipedias. Donate. Donate. How <laughs> about I open my door and... The dogs are not barking. It's whatever. They're used to it. Yeah. (laughs) You can support our podcast by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Only five stars. Only five. (laughs) Only five. Four if you must. (laughs) Um, And then where can they reach us, Kat? They can reach us at Difficult Damsels. Difficult dot damsels or Difficult Damsels? (laughs) Difficult dot damsels at gmail.com. And then we're also on (laughs) Facebook or, or Instagram at Difficult to get damsels the podcast. Why was that so hard? You know why? Because we usually you fucking do, threw me off. We usually do the other part first oh, and no. this at the end. So yeah. Oh my god, Sorry. I got so confused. I was like, what is happening? Um, I have some pictures for you. So okay. this is a painting of Sabella. Oh, pregnant Sabella or just like awkward painting? I think it's pregnant Sabella. Okay, now we have this one. <laughs> Anya's like, I don't like pregnant Sabella. Not Anya. It's You'll busy. notice. <laughs> She has, she, she looks Frankish. She's got a pale complexion and red hair. Yeah. So one of the criticisms of kingdom of heaven and it's of any, any type of movie of this era, they always orientalize the women. Yeah, that's fair. So, and that's Eva Green, um, who is beautiful. Yeah, she's fucking gorgeous and I'm here for it. Eva Green as Sabella. Eva Green also looks gorgeous with pale hair and she's also a pale human. So yeah. Yeah. She, she is who I picture as Sabella. Yeah. Yeah. So we are changing it up a little bit. We're not yes. going to do a random question yes. this time. We're going to do some of our famous, famous, favorite poetry. <laughs> That's kind of in theme with the podcast. Yeah. Whoa. You didn't give me oh, that okay. stipulation. It's fine. It doesn't have to be in theme with the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So you go first. Okay. So you tell me I am not like most girls and learn to kiss me with your eyes closed. Something about the phrase, something about how I have to be unlike the women I call sisters in order to be wanted makes me want to spit your tongue out. Like I am supposed to be proud. You picked me as if I should be relieved. You think I am better than them. Whoa. (laughs) That is aggressive. I like it. Yes. it's It's just damning the whole, not like other girls trope. Yeah. I feel like you sent that to me. I did. Okay, That's what, like, decades, I've down. <laughs> wow, she's watching TikTok as she's talking to me. Well, guys. I, there's one on TikTok I gotta find. But you can go next. Okay. I have it here. I'll start with uh, 
one of my favorite poems that inspired the name of this podcast. Yes. I don't know if we've read it officially on this podcast, but we have, we have talked about it. So Thor's getting up and creating chaos as he does so. <laughs> so the poem's called Difficult Damsels. Uh, it's by Nikita Gill. Love Nikita Gill. Yeah, she's got some great stuff. Go follow her on Instagram. She's awesome. But uh, so it goes, not all girls are made of sugar and spice and all things nice. These are girls made of dark lace and witchcraft and a little bit of vice. These are daughters made cloth first and story mad, tiger roar and wolf bad. These are women made of terrible tempests and savage storms and the untamed unwanted. These are damsels made of flawless fearlessness, made of more bravery than knights have ever seen. These are princesses made of valor and poison alike. And they are here to hold court as your queens. Yes. <laughs> I remember like we were trying to figure out the name for this podcast and we found that poem and yeah. I was like that. Well, it had been, a, right it there. had been a poem that like I had seen so many times before and I like, I liked it. I was like, Oh, that's a cool title for a poem. And like I'd read it and I was like, this is so awesome. And then like, yeah, when we were searching for a name, I was like, what? <laughs> that's it. So yeah. yeah, that is the poem that inspired the name of this podcast. Oh yeah. What's your next one? Okay, What's your next one? Oh. <laughs> the best song ever. We're not Every play day, therapist, mother maid. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. Okay. He says he loves feminine women. Not too much makeup, though. Sexy, but not too sexy, you know? Not funny, but she laughs at everything. Yeah. Comes when she's called, but doesn't call too often. Not too bitchy. Submissive. Subservient. I tell him he has mistaken obedience for femininity. I suggest getting a dog instead, <laughs> but I caution that both bitches bite back. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I like yes. that one. Uh, who is that by? Did you that say? is by Trista Matir. I like it. Good job, Trista. Artemis Made Me Do It is Ooh. the book. Oh, yeah. So my next one is really short. Um, it's just interesting. So it says, I am water, soft enough to offer life, tough enough to drown it away. I like it. Right? Yes. That's by Rupi Kaur. Sorry if I said that wrong. (laughs) Oh, what else? Oh, this one's good. I'm going to say this one while you look for your next one. I have it. Oh, okay. Then go say. Go say? What? (laughs) It's blurry. Hold on. Okay. Oh, I did that one. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to do mine. Okay. So this one is a Robert Frost poem. I love Robert Frost. (gasps) Yes. So some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. I love that poem too. I love Robert Frost. I love Robert Frost. (laughs) I love his, the woods are lovely, dark and deep. Yes. But I've got promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. Hell yeah. And miles to go before I sleep. I did that one by heart because I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got another one by Nikita Gill. And it's called You Aren't Like Most Girls. How dare you tell me I'm not like most girls when those girls you refer to are my sisters and mothers, my friends, the very solace and the kindness I have sought when the worst things in my life have happened. How dare you assume I should take that as a compliment and beam at you like it is a praise when you are alienating me from the very core of my proud female being. There are a thousand ways to tell me you love me and making my sister small to make me big isn't one of them. Tell me you love me, not because I am different. Tell me you love me just because you do. Yes, 
I love Nikita. Oh, I have like three poems from her, but <laughs> <laughs> my next one is an Emily Dick- Dickinson poem. Um, Hope is a thing with flower. Oh my God. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm going to read it right this time. Oh shit. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. Mm. <laughs> I like Emily Dickinson. She's good stuff. I love Emily. I And Sylvia Plath. All oh, the sad girl poetry. This one is good. You'll like this one. It's a very, very short one, but it just hits hard. I don't know who it's by. There's there's a, it says who it's by, but I'm not sure if that's real because it's one of those things I got off the internet. Yeah. But the it, the whole thing is, uh, I choose to love you in silence for in silence, I find no rejection. Oh, <laughs> unrequited love. Oh, I feel that one. Yep. <laughs> All right. I got one. It's actually from A Song of Ice and Fire. Hell yeah, it is. It's not a poem, but it kind of is so i am so sad that people who've only ever seen the show game of thrones um only know that version of euron yeah Greyjoy. yeah this is the version i know okay who knows more of gods than i horse gods and fire gods gods made of gold with gemstone eyes gods carved of cedar wood gods chiseled into mountains gods of empty air I know them all. I have seen their people garland them with flowers and shed the blood of goats and bulls and children in their names. And I have heard the prayers in half a hundred tongues. Cure my withered leg. Make the maiden love me. Grant me a healthy son. Save me. Succor me. Make me wealthy. Protect me. Protect me from mine enemies. Protect me from the darkness. Protect me from the crabs inside my belly. From the horse lords, from the slavers, from the cell swords at my door. Protect me from silence, he laughed. Godless, why, Aaron, I am the godliest man ever to raise sail. You serve one god, damp hair, but I have served ten thousands. From Ib to Ashai, when men see my sails, they pray. Damn. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good stuff. I like He's- it. Mm, yeah, I know we were allowed to use mo- or show quotes or book quotes <laughs> or whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this one I found recently. Uh, it's a very it, it hit very close to home because the things that I'm ha- that are I'm having to go through right now. But it's a poem by Joyce Alcantara, and it goes a little something like this. <laughs> okay, you may see me struggle, but you won't see me fall. Regardless if I'm weak or not, I'm going to stand tall. Everyone says life is easy, but truly living it is not. Times get hard, people struggle, and constantly get put on the spot. I'm going to wear the biggest smile even though I want to cry. I'm going to fight to live even though I'm destined to die. And even though it's hard and I may struggle through it all, you may see me struggle, but you will never see me fall. Aw. Isn't that great? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Let's, I think that's a good one to leave it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's our favorite some of our favorite, Some of our poems. favorite <laughs> poems. Yeah, we'll just like randomly send each other poems. Uh, yeah, we yeah. do it all the time. <laughs> words are beautiful. I love words, words are beautiful. Yes. If but, you guys have favorite poems that you yeah. think we'd love, yes. please send them to us. Yes. Tag us in all the all social the medias. and <laughs> You know where to find us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, pizza is here, so we pizza are going to leave here. you. here, so hasta la pasta, all of you. Hasta la pasta. <laughs> Stay difficult. Stay difficult. <laughs> nair, nair, nair. <laughs>